0: Hey, Inquirer listeners, I'm Austin Ramsey, and I produce your visit inside community journalism each week here at the Messenger Inquirer. Today's episode is the first of a two-part series that explores downtown revitalization efforts in Owensboro. This week, your host, Don Wilkins, talks with MI City reporter Steve Veed about the cost of those efforts, both politically and economically. And next week, we hope you'll listen as Don explores business in the reborn downtown sector. As always, thanks for listening. All right, here's the show.
1: Downtown Owensboro has undergone a rebirth in recent years, and one of the contributing factors has been the development of Smothers Park, which celebrated its fifth anniversary in August. The $68 million park, which is located on the city's riverfront, has been both praised and criticized for its gaudy features, price tag, and taxes used to build it. We'll be discussing this Owensboro landmark that has become a destination place for both residents and visitors alike. Stay with us. This is Inquirer. From the Messenger inquirer I'm Don Wilkins, and joining me is veteran Messenger Inquiry reporter, Steve Veed, who has done extensive coverage on Smothers Park and the entire downtown revitalization project, and he has been covering this remarkable project from its genesis. Steve, you became a reporter for the Messenger inquirer when? In late 1977,
0: I came here as a sports reporter, spending 13 years on the sports desk, and then later
1: as a news reporter. So whenever you came here, what did the riverfront look like then? When I first arrived,
0: downtown still had all of its stores, Vitality and things going for it because the Town Square Mall had yet to open. It opened only a few months later, however, which began the the decline of downtown at that time in 1978. But at that time, 2nd Street looked great.
1: Now, where Smothers Park is, what did that look like? I grew up here, and I remember... I always described it as just having some monkey bars and a, and a swing set and maybe a slide, and that was about it. It wasn't a bad place, but it had
0: very little going for it. It was a park. It did have swings. It had a sidewalk, large trees, but it was just a small downtown green space overlooking the Ohio River. The river was the only draw for it, really. There was a boat dock there and a launching ramp. I remember taking my children there when they were young to watch boats being launched and brought back in. We did that a lot and it was okay. You could observe the river from swings and stand there. It was just a small downtown park.
1: So I doubt it was what made you want to settle down here uh, at that time, right? It was not.
0: I always believed that the riverfront was an asset for the community, but it wasn't being taken advantage of very much. You kind of got into it a little bit. So what was downtown like then? Downtown was just a typical Kentucky downtown. The stores were there, the JCPenney and the Sears, and the other uh, retail outlets were all on 2nd Street, and it was a pretty vibrant place, soon to go the other way with the opening of Town Square Mall on South Frederica, which was an amazing, huge event here. At the same time, it was the beginning
1: of the end for, uh, for downtown. Yeah, you could point to the date of uh, March first, 1978. That was the day the Town Square Mall opened and pulling traffic to South Frederica away from the riverfront. Did the city officials ever express any concern of this shift from the downtown area? Not that I recall, Don, it, there was so much excitement connected with
0: the opening of the mall and the rapid growth of what was happening on South Frederica that I think that drew everyone's attention away. There was still retail activity on 2nd Street in downtown. Uh, and, of course, as, as we've discussed, the Executive Inn, Rivermont, was uh, not far away. And it was it was a new venue at that time. So it was still generating a lot of
1: attention. So back in the late 70s, were they doing any kind of events downtown? uh Do you remember when that started and how it affected the riverfront area? Uh, The Barbecue Festival
0: did start in the late 70s, but it was a a one-day-a-year affair. But other than that, downtown was very quiet, not a lot of activity. Activities were directed elsewhere
1: in our town. I guess downtown was just left to its own devices, and there weren't many. I guess there were some shops down there. Of course, we had the Anderson building down there.
0: Anderson's department store continued for a while. It, it had dual locations in town at the mall and retained its downtown location. But downtown was mainly for lawyers and the courts and a few shops that re, that remained. And But, but activity
1: was just uh, falling off rapidly. Yeah, and we're going to get into why that happened as we take a quick break here on Inquire. What you heard there was the implosion of the Executive Inn, Rivermont. Even when residents stopped coming to the riverfront, it still had the Executive Inn, and it opened on October 14, 1977. And in its heyday, major performers such as Bob Hope, Ray Charles, James Brown, Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, B.B. King, and even Liberace played there. But not even they were enough to salvage the dying downtown area. The Big E went into disrepair along with the rest of the downtown area. And that's when the city, under Mayor Tom Watson, started looking at Kentucky 54, developing it with the state TIF funds. Briefly talk about the city's motivation to focus on 54, and when did it return its attention to the downtown area? Well, the focus on 54 and the TIF initiative
0: that began out there occurred during Mayor Watson's first term as mayor here but it ran into legal difficulties with the definitions of the TIF under state law, and eventually it did not qualify for that. The plan was at that time to build a convention center on 54 and a large shopping area. We see that happening now all these years later, but then it was going to be a new focus, and downtown was going to be basically abandoned in the minds of many. There would be nothing left there with the executive end no longer open, The picture wasn't very bright for downtown then with the focus on on the 54 TIF and what was going to happen out there. So what changed? Well, it did not muster as far as the legal definitions of a TIF were concerned. It was not approved by the state for TIF funds, so that was the end of that discussion. And then Mayor Watson and and city commissioners turned their attention to other things, and then his term ended, and then Ron Payne was elected mayor, and that was a big difference maker for downtown as we
1: will discuss and as we see now. So once Ron Payne started talking about downtown revitalization, that also entailed doubling the insurance premium tax to help fund this massive project. Was it considered a long shot that this tax plan would pass? Well, Ron Payne has said in the past that the
0: TIF on 54 was a motivating factor for him to get back into city politics because he wanted the attention to go back to downtown. He thought that was vital for the future of the community. That was his motivation. Even as he was elected, the community had already started talking about things that needed to be done downtown. Uh, Gateway planning came here. They came out with a huge plan for uh, downtown revitalization. And then it was left up the community to do with that plan what it would. And Ron Payne took it and he ran with that ball. He got the votes lined up on his city commission, and just as importantly, he got it lined up with votes on the Davis Fiscal Court to pass there. I think there was one member on each board who voted against this, but other than that, it passed. Whether it was considered a long shot or not, I really can't say, but it passed in early 2009, and here we
1: are. One of the people involved, maybe who whose name put out there, was Mike Ronnie, who was on the county fiscal court. He's given a, a lot of credit uh, because they needed the county's backing. The city needed the county's backing for this, right?
0: Yes. Mike Ronnie's vote was required because in order for Davis fiscal court to approve it, they needed the three votes, and he was that third vote that they needed. Judge Executive Reed Hare was in favor. County Commissioner Bruce Kunze was in favor. When Mayor Payne spoke to Mike Riney about that issue. We know that Riney was a very conservative person, but Riney was convinced when Payne told him that downtown revitalization was necessary for the future of downtown and for the future of Mike Riney's grandchildren without revitalization or with it. And with that, Mike Riney was convinced that downtown revitalization needed to go forward if there was to be a future for his grandchildren and other children in our community. So he voted for it, and the city commission passed it, and both the county and the city basically doubled their insurance premium license fee taxes to create enough money to pay the loan payments on large
1: loans that were used for the capital construction funds. It totaled close to 80 million. Explain what these taxes pay for and what don't they pay for regarding the downtown area those bonds that the city and county took out for downtown
0: were capital construction bonds. Those were for the building of what you see down there. The convention center, Smothers Park, the rebuilding of 2nd Street, everything you see that was capital construction, there was not money allocated then for things like future maintenance and upkeep of everything that has to be done and other expenses that later cropped up as part of this whole program to make it go.
1: And will these taxes eventually sunset?
0: Yes. As these loans were taken out by the city and county, the uh, plan all along was that when they were paid off, then those insurance premium taxes would go back to where they were. Those increases would be removed. But that's many years in the future, Don. Those loans were taken out for 20 and 30 years. The county may, and I believe Judge Executive Al Mattingly has said, that they intend to pay their $20 million loan off early, and they're doing that now. But the city has many years left on those bonds that were taken out to build downtown revitalization.
1: It took three years to build Smothers Park, and all we heard about was the million-dollar concrete trees. But, Steve, what do you think about the park once it was done, and do you think that most residents appreciate Smothers Park and the vision that it has become despite their higher taxes, and now talk about more taxes to pay for its upkeep? Well, I think the uh, the proof in the
0: pudding there, Don, was the reception that Smothers Park received when it opened in August of 2012 five years ago now it was a tremendous response tremendous response in a positive way I was there covering that event as the uh, city beat reporter at the time it was just obvious that everybody was enjoying themselves and were tremendously impressed all of us were I believe with the workmanship and how the park turned out it was like nothing people had ever seen before or believed would ever happen here it was just an overwhelming response to that park And that was just the first piece of downtown revitalization, really. Much more has has come along since then. In August of 2012, it was just a tremendous response by the public, the taxpayers who were footing the bill for that, to see what their money had produced.
1: Yeah, and I remember growing up here and hearing everybody talk about there's nothing to do here, and you hear that constantly, but then nobody would ever do anything about it. All of a sudden, you know, we had these uh, city officials and county officials decide, hey, let's do something now. And and I remember going down there whenever they unveiled it and became a little emotional uh, about it. And just knowing that, you know, this was something that I never thought I would see in my lifetime. And now that my kids, my grandkids hopefully will have this as an inspiration to not only stay here, but come back here after college and, and live and work here when so many before— wouldn't come back here because they didn't have anything to come back here for. And now this is an incentive. And so how do you think Owensboro's history will remember Mayor Payne and the rest of the city and county officials who had the courage to make this happen? Well, I think that you put it
0: well there when you talked about what drove the whole thing. It was this vision that Owensboro was going nowhere and there was nothing to do and downtown was dying and I think some of these people, including Mayor Payne, saw that, it was obvious to them that something needed to be done and it was going to take a bold, a really a bold initiative to pull it off and it was every bit of that with the price tag that it carried And I think the legacy for those individuals, those representatives, those elected officials that went out on a limb, really, and some of them suffered political consequences later on, but they will be looked at as visionary as this thing goes forward and as more construction occurs and more development downtown comes on, they will be looked at as doing the right thing, just a successful venture all the way around and something that people really didn't expect ever to happen here.
1: That will wrap up our show for this week. I want to thank Messenger Inquirer reporter Steve Veed for joining me. To send us questions or to provide feedback, email us at newscast at messenger-inquire.com. Remember, you can find us on the Messenger Inquirer's website, its mobile app, and iTunes, where you can subscribe to Inquire. Until next time, I'm Don Wilkinson. Good day for Inquire.